I'm assuming everybody has signed in, please, and uh, we'll get somebody to close those back doors, and we will get started. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the health that we have, for the church, for our families, for the hope. Thank you for tonight, uh, being able to come together, and I pray, as I have each night, that you would open our minds to understand the scriptures, that we might know you, the one true God and Jesus whom you have sent. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As I have in each session, I want to give thanks and credit to Dr. David Jeremiah for writing that book that prompted me to uh, write this series, uh, The Agents of Apocalypse. This series has revealed the main characters of the Revelation. My goal since the first session was to show you the main characters so then you can read the Revelation and understand the Revelation. If you go through the series, this is going to be part number eight. We've talked about the church, the martyrs, the 144,000, the, the uh, two witnesses, the dragon, the beast, from the sea, which is the Antichrist, and the beast that comes out of the earth, which is the false prophet. And tonight, I'm going to call this like an intermediate grand finale. It's an intermediate grand finale. It's not the grand finale, it's the intermediate grand finale. It's called the day. The day. Revelation number 8, the day. Everything in the Bible and everything in creation is waiting for this day. What we're going to talk, talk about tonight is the ultimate expectation, the day. The Bible talks about it, creation groans for it. I'm waiting for it, the day. The revelation begins with Jesus revealing his messages to the church and the future church. But if you've read or studied Revelation, you'd come to the same conclusion that I did. After the church portion, it's a pretty messy book, right? After the church, and I remember after the church portion, he's just finished with the church at Laodicea, and John says, and he said, come up here, and I will show you the things that must happen after this. After the church, after the church, and I believe that's a reference to the rapture of the church and the events that follow the rapture of the church, and if you just scroll down through the events that take place after this, after the church, they are the series that I have just communicated to you. What are they? They're souls of martyrs crying out under the altar to God for justice. That's after the church is taken up. Go, go scroll down through Revelation. The souls of the martyrs. And then the 144,000 Jews are sealed and sent out in a final call to come and be saved. But, but understand, to come and be saved is to come and die. And then the two witnesses are going to preach and then they're killed by the Antichrist. And then the dragon shows up. He's Satan, the false god. And then the beast from the sea shows up and he's Antichrist, the false Christ. And then the beast from the earth shows up and he's the false Holy Spirit. And tonight, finally, some good news. You've gone through Revelation and it's been pretty messy. Tonight's good news, the day. 
the day that everything's going to change. This is what Jesus' disciples were asking about the day that Jesus left the earth. Now here, here, if you want a foundation to connect the dots, I'm about to give it to you. Jesus has been, in this instance, Acts chapter 1, he is the death and the burial and the resurrection. It is in the 40 days, at the end of the 40 days, after, the, after his resurrection, he's getting ready to leave planet earth. He, he's leaving. He's leaving. Okay? He's leaving. And in the middle of his leaving, what do they ask him? These guys, have, they know him. They've talked to him. They've heard things that we haven't heard because much of their three years activity is not even in the book. So they know what we don't know. So in that context, listen to what happens. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking. What does that tell you? I want to, there's something I want to know, Jesus. They kept asking. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore our kingdom? What do they know? Why are they asking this question? Is it time? Is it time for the day? Are, are you going to restore Israel? Are you going to restore our kingdom? Why are they asking this question? Huh? It's important. He replied, the Father alone has authority to set those dates and times. Did he say, I'm not going to restore Israel and I'm not going to restore the kingdom? No, he didn't say that. He just said, I'm not going to tell you when it's going to happen. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And Jesus' answer to their question, what's their question? Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Why would Israel need freeing? Who's in charge? Rome. You're going to set us free? You're going to bring us out from underneath the yoke of a foreign government? An occupying Roman government? Are you going to restore the kingdom? What kingdom? Well, who would be the king? It'd be somebody from David's lineage, maybe. The king? You have a kingdom, you need a king, right? The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. And you're going to tell people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. After saying this, what, what? This is like one of the final conversations recorded. After saying this, he was taken up into the cloud, into a cloud, while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Has there ever been a crazier question in the Bible? Why wouldn't you be standing there staring into heaven? He was talking to me a minute ago and he just started going through the air. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. Here it comes, here it comes, but someday. Someday he's coming back. Someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Anybody want to put that together and think it through in your mind? So if you just saw him go up, he's standing on the Mount of Olives. 
That's right outside the eastern gate of the Jerusalem city. I've been there. He's standing on the Mount of Olives. By the way, if you want to know how, no, he's standing on the Mount of Olives. It says that. So he's going up. This Jesus is going to come back the way he went. What's that tell you? He's going to come back from the heavens down to the earth and stand on the Mount of Olives. Go read the book of Zechariah. That's what he says is going to happen too. They must have talked to each other. Someday he'll return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Then the apostles return to Jerusalem from, guess where? The Mount of Olives. A distance about a half a mile. These guys had spent three incredible years with Jesus watching and learning. They had seen it all. The miracles, the walking on the water, the scolding of the sea to be still. They saw the healings. They also saw the cross. They saw the, the miracles, they saw, but they saw the cross. They saw the day that it looked like the dragon had just won the war. I mean, let's be honest. If you spent three years with Jesus and then you watch him die, you think the dragon just won, right? How could this be good? They saw Jesus and experienced the despair of that three days. On the third day, he's going to rise. But what was it like to hang around while he wasn't risen? They lived without him during that time. And they're afraid. They're locked away in an upper room, scared for their own lives. On Friday, all seemed lost. On Saturday, it still seemed lost. But Sunday came. A day. Listen, a day. A day on God's calendar happened. That day changed the world. We're going to meet here this weekend because of that day called Easter. They saw the resurrection. Now I want you to think about this as we begin. In a way, when they watched Jesus' resurrection, in a sense, they saw the return of Christ. In an abbreviated fashion, what did they see? The return of Christ. From where? From the grave. So they saw a preview in small tents of a future large tents event. They, in some way, saw the return of Christ. He was gone. When's the last time you saw anybody come back out of the grave? It's a pretty big deal. So what did they see that day, that Sunday? They could see that a man could walk out of the grave. And they saw that that man could defeat death. This is big. This day... That resurrection day, that Sunday, was big. But they saw something else. And that something is revealed very clear in their question to Jesus about, stay with me, you're going to miss the link if you miss this. As big as the resurrection of Jesus is, that's not what they're talking about on the day of His ascension, is it? What are they asking him about on the day of his ascension? Something in the past? Uh-uh. What are they asking him about? Something that's coming. A day. The day he departed earth to sit at the right hand of the Father, 40 days after the cross. I want to read it one more time. Verse 6 through 8. Acts chapter 1. So when the apostles were with Jesus... They kept asking him. Now, there'd be a curious question 
did they know he was going to poof right at that particular time? So we better get this question in before he poofs. I don't know. I don't know if, they, if he told them, today's the day I'm leaving. I don't know. I know this. They're asking him. They kept asking him a question. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And then he replies, the Father alone has, set the authority, has the authority to set the day. Jesus says, I'm not going to set the day. The Father's going to set the day, and the Father's going to set the time. So the first thing you must conclude is that there is a day, and there is a time to do what? To free Israel and restore a kingdom. What would that look like? What's it going to look like? Because he doesn't say, no, Israel's not going to be freed, and I'm not going to restore the kingdom. He just said that you're not going to know the day. The Father will set that day. And then he says what? But you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now go do that. Don't worry about the day. Not yet. You see, they saw a kingdom. That's why they're asking them a question, him a question. They saw a kingdom, and they saw a king. The only question was when. If you miss this, you're going to miss much of the rest of Revelation's talk about a day. They saw a kingdom. When's it going to happen? They saw a king. When are you going to do it? What they didn't know is how much longer. When? Will it be like soon? Revelation 19, what we're about to start tonight, is the when. It is the day. Revelation 19 is the day that the king... And the kingdom will come to the kingdom of men. Which answers the question of his apostles on the Mount of Olives on the day of his ascension. Revelation 19 is what the apostles were waiting for. And as of today, right now in this room, that's 28 generations of men have been waiting for the answer to their question. Lord, when are you going to free Israel? and restore our kingdom. 28 generations. Where did I get that? 2,000 years divided by 70. It's 28. You know why I do that? Because I had this experience that when you say 2,000 years to most people, they just get kind of hazy-eyed. Because that number just means I can't comprehend it. But if you say 28 generations, that doesn't sound like that many years, does it? For 28 generations, people have been waiting for Jesus to answer this question. Lord, is this the time when you're going to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Lord, has the time come? I want you to understand something before I read it to you tonight. This king is coming to make war. I wonder how many people... Who even, who, even, who even believe in the return of Christ, understand what he's going to do when he gets here. He's coming to make war. The king is going to take his kingdom from the dragon by force. And this king will kill the reigning king, the Antichrist, at his arrival. When he shows up, when Jesus shows up his showing up will kill the beast that comes out of the sea it'll kill him 
Just His glory, His splendor, His majesty will destroy the Antichrist. The king is going to initiate the bloodiest battle that's ever taken place on planet Earth. I'm telling you, he's coming to make war. It is the bloodiest battle that has ever taken place on the earth. And there's been some pretty bloody battles. This king is not a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. I hope you were here last week when I told you the, the reason he's not come yet. I don't have to guess. I can read. I can tell you the reason he's not come yet. We still live in a wait-a-minute moment. He's not willing that any should perish. You know, right now around the world, there are people coming to Christ. We baptized two people this past Sunday. You have to ask the question, what if he'd have came before that? Before those two people received Christ as their Lord and Savior, before they confessed his name. Now somebody will look at me and say, but you know what, there'll always be somebody outside, and you'd be right. There will always be somebody outside. In fact, Jesus himself acknowledged that when he comes, the love of most will have grown cold. Of most, many, very few will be standing with him. He doesn't want people to perish. So he's given people, generations, time to repent. We right now live. I want you to understand something tonight before I read Revelation 19. When, when we start into this story, why has this not happened? Why, has this, why hasn't Jesus yet answered the question of his followers? Has the time come for you to free Israel? Restore your kingdom? Put a king on Israel's throne? He's given time to repent, to come to Him for forgiveness of sins. Time to be made right with God through faith in His Son. We are in a wait-a-minute moment, and in fact, it's been a few minutes now. It's been a few minutes now. In God's time frame, it's been a few minutes. I know it's not a few minutes in our time frame. How does God measure time? You know, a day until the Lord's like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. So how long has it been? Two days. Two days. David Jeremiah tells a story I want to read to y'all tonight. One of my favorite stories in his book. About this wait a minute moment and what comes when the minute's up. Here's the story. On the first day of class, a teacher carefully explained to the 100 college freshmen in his classroom that they would be responsible for completing three term papers within the semester. The papers would be due on the last of September October and November, and there would be no extensions. At the end of September, 90 students, listen, 90 students dutifully turned in their papers while 10 remorseful students quaked in fear. We're sorry, they said. We didn't make the proper adjustments from high school to college, but we promised to do better next time. The teacher bowed to their plea for mercy, gave them an extension, but he warned them, not to be late next month. The end of October rolled around and about 80 students turned in their papers while 20 of them showed up empty-handed. 
Oh, please, they begged. It was homecoming weekend and we ran out of time. The teacher again relented once more, but he warned, this is it, this is it. I can hear my teacher saying that. This is it. No excuses next time. You'll get an F. The end of November came and only 50 students turned in their papers. The rest told the teacher, we'll get it soon. Sorry, he replied, it's too late. You get an F. The students howled in protest. That's not fair. Okay, the teacher replied, you want justice? You want justice, do you? Here's what's just. You'll get an F for all three papers that were late. That was the rule, right? That's justice. Many in our time have mistaken the mercy and the grace and the long-suffering of God for a lack of justice and a lack of authority. Many in our generation see that He hasn't come in 2,000 years Maybe that was because it was all a bluff. He's really not going to hold anybody to this heaven and hell standard. Life and death. Judgment. When Revelation 19 opens, the books will be closed. And all grades are final. No one will take that semester over again. When Jesus leaves the Father's side on that day to come to the earth, the time of grace and mercy will suddenly end and He will come to bring wrath. He will come to bring judgment. I have often had this, um, I don't want to say it's a vision, I've often had this imagination. I've often had this imagination that Jesus is next to the Father and the Father, and Jesus says, is it time? Let's go. And the angels are surrounding, and they're looking at Jesus and saying, is it time? Let's go. The world events are prompting heaven to say, let's go. Let's go. And the Father says, wait a minute. There's still time for a few more. There's still time for a few more. What I'm about to tell you might be my absolute favorite part tonight. And it has to do with the word hallelujah. It was several years ago that God gave me. And I, and I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. Literally, God gave me four words. I was in a prayer time. And he gave me four words. Four words. I didn't hear an audible voice. I, he gave me four words. Maranatha, Hosanna, hallelujah, amen. Some of y'all got it on your shirt. I got it in my mind. And I want to tell you, that's not the only time he's done it. That I've had multiple times in which he's given me something. I'm not, most of them are so private, I don't, they're just personal. But th let me give you an example. This one's nine words. And it was so powerful that it's become part of my daily prayer. And I don't have any idea, if you ask me, why they all begin in P. I'm going to ask him when I get there. They all begin in P, and there's nine of them. 
Lord, fill me with your power and your presence and your purpose and your passion and your providence and your peace and your purity and your provision and your protection. He gave me nine words. Nine words. Power, presence, person. Uh, power, presence. All of these things I'm asking him to put inside me because he gave me, prompted me to ask him, Lord, would you fill me with your power and your presence and your purpose and your passion and your providence and your peace and your purity and your provision and your protection? So, you have no idea that when I come out here on Sunday mornings, usually that's probably the last things I'll say is those nine Ps. He gave them to me. And typically after that I'll say, and for the glory of your name and for the souls of man. Nine Ps. Well, he gave me these four words. Maranatha, Hosanna, Hallelujah, Amen. Did you know that the third word in that four-word prayer that God gave me is only found in one chapter of the English Bible? The New International and the New American Standard. It's only found in that. Why is that significant? Because if I polled the average church person outside of Nineveh, if I polled the average church person outside Nineveh and asked you, do you think the word hallelujah would be prominent in the Bible used in multiple applications? Everybody would say, well, I sure it is. You'd be wrong. It's used four times in one chapter only. And God gave me, that was the third of the four words that he gave me. The word hallelujah is a Greek word that is translated from the Hebrew word phrase, praise the Lord. So when you say hallelujah, in Hebrew it would be saying praise the Lord. The NLT actually uses the Hebrew phrase. That's why below I've actually listed the NIV translation. Hallelujah is only found in one chapter of our English Bible, but in that chapter it's found four times, and here's where it's my favorite part. They all apply to the time when Jesus comes to reign as king. All four. How cool is that? That's when he gave me the four-word prayer. He didn't just give me the four-word prayer. He gave me the four-word prayer in a sequence that I could understand them in my mind. Maranatha, come soon. That's what that means. Maranatha, Hosanna, which means save us. Hallelujah, begin to reign. That's the application in Revelation 19. Amen, make it so. So say, come soon, Lord, save us. Begin to reign, make it so. I'm going to tell you, that prayer works every time in all situations. doesn't matter. If you're all messed up, just say four words. If you're having a crazy day, say four words. Come soon, Lord, save us, begin to reign. That's not four words, is it? So you've got to do it the other way. Maranatha, Hosanna, hallelujah, amen. You can do it real quick. Trust me, he knows what it means because he's the one that gave it to me. I'm going to read to you about the day, the day that the heavens shout hallelujah. Only found in Revelation 19. Here we go. This is the announcement of the day. After this, I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven. What are they shouting? Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our Lord, for true and just are his judgments. 
He has condemned the great prostitute. Now let me tell you, I'm trying to help you understand Revelation. He has, on this day, the condemnation of the great prostitute is taking place. Her judgment day has arrived. Let me just, I'm going to give you the easy version. The easy version is the great prostitute is all human idolatry. Now, we can work into the details at a different time, but all human idolatry is the prostitute. Why? Because she's unfaithful. That is, idolatry is to be unfaithful to your lover, which is God. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her what? Adulteries, with her unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness to whom? God. He, God, has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, here it comes again, number two. They shouted hallelujah. The smoke from her, who? The great prostitute. Worldwide idolatry. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, here it comes again, amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder. And what are they saying? Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty, what? Say it out loud, reigns. What are the hallelujahs doing in 19? He's coming. Our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has what? Has, is scheduled? No, it has come. And His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And then the angel said to me, Write, write, John. John's probably thinking, I can't write any faster. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I, John, fell at his feet. John's fallen down at the angel's feet to worship him. But he, the angel, said, no, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. I want to hold it up. I am a fellow servant of you who hold to what? Who hold to what? Don't read over this. Don't read over it. Who hold to what? What are they holding on to? The testimony of Jesus. Where are you going to get your hands on that? Google? Where are you going to get that? It's in this book. And then it says, worship God, not angels. John, get up. Don't worship that angel. Get up. Why? Because we are your brothers, and we, angels, like people, hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Here it comes. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Are you ready for this hallelujah day? Are you ready for the end of the semester? Have you made plans to meet the teacher who will be king on that day? 
It's a good question. Really, it's not like we didn't get any notice, any warning about that day. I'm going to hold it up again, and I'm going to read to you another excerpt from David Jeremiah's book. David Jeremiah writes, references to the second coming of Jesus outnumber references to the first coming by a factor of eight to one. Stay with me. Scholars have identified in this book I'm holding 1,845 biblical references to what? The second coming of Jesus. Tonight we'll refer to that as the day. 1,845 references. In the Old Testament, Christ's return is emphasized in no less than 17 books. And New Testament authors speak of it in 23 of 27 books. Talk about what? The day that He's coming back. Seven out of every ten chapters in the New Testament mentions His return. In other words, one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament teach us about the return of Christ to this earth. And I've had people look at me in the eye and say, well, the Bible really doesn't say that much about Jesus coming back. I'm thinking, you've got a different version than I do. In First and Second Thessalonians, I love this part, the first two books written to the early church the return of Christ is taught in every single chapter. It's the first letter that Paul writes to any church. And in every chapter in those letters, he talks about Jesus coming. The Lord himself referred to his return 21 times. The second coming is second only to salvation as the most dominant subject in the New Testament. And I have people actually tell me, and you all know it's true, I have people actually tell me, I've had people leave this church because they say, you talk too much about Jesus coming. It used to crush me. I'll just be honest. It used to crush me. I had a dear friend who came to church here for a while. Finally, he left, and I saw him somewhere, and I asked him, where you been, what's going on? He said, man, you just talk too much about that Jesus coming stuff. <sighs> Why? Should we be talking about it? Are you ready for this hallelujah day? See, here's the deal with me. I'll make it personal. That's the only reason I'm here. If I didn't talk about his coming, I would violate the very calling that God gave me in my life. So I can listen to that guy who aggravates the snot out of me and let him adjust my calling, or I can just stick to the calling, which is why I'm here. I'm supposed to warn people about the day. You're supposed to warn people about the day. Have you made plans to meet the teacher who will be king that day? Nobody around here is going to be able to say they didn't know. You come to Nineveh, you're not going to get to heaven and say, well, nobody talked about it. Not here. The church is supposed to tell the world about the day. And I know we've been doing it here at Nineveh. And I also know that some people 
since Christ have mocked the day. Not just the preachers, they mock the day itself. I even find their mocking, in fact, I'm going to read to you and explain why. I find the current modern day mocking, and I'm going to give you two instances, I find the mocking as a confirmation of the truth that the day is near. Because what I'm about to read to you, there are two events in there. The Bible says, and I'll read it, that they will mock Jesus' return, and then they will mock specifically two events. The creation, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They will mock that. And they will also mock, secondly, the flood. Now, how in the world did Peter know that in the last days that people would mock creation and the flood? Now, let me read it. 2 Peter chapter 3. Most importantly, Peter said, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. What will they, they, they will say, what? The mockers, the scoffers will say something. How did Peter know this? They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming? Let me, let me insert. What about that day, preacher? They mocked his coming. From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget. That means you did it on purpose. They deliberately forget what? Here's number one. That God made the heavens by the word of His command. And they brought the earth, and He brought the earth out from the water, and He surrounded it with water. And then, that's number one. What's the, what, well, they deliberately forget. Number one. God created the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Number two. Then he used water, this is the flood, to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for what? Fire. That's coming on the day. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. Anybody think it's interesting that in the modern, let's just use the American culture. You know what two things the church has that is mocked above most other things right now, our belief in the creation event. God bless Ken Helm in northern Kentucky. He has stood alone. And they mocked that God, that Genesis is real, and that the flood of Noah was the judgment of God. And there's another judgment coming. You know, I've often thought about this. If you can erase the flood, you can erase the judgment. And if you can erase the judgment, you're free to be your own God. You'll never have to stand in front of anybody. The day will come at the end of the last days. That's what Peter said. In the last days, scoffers are coming. The day is going to come at the end of the last days. In fact, there can't be a last day if there's not the last days. Wouldn't make any sense, would it? Even godless and scoffing Hollywood is making movies about the apocalypse. I just laugh. Because even scoffing Hollywood believes something's going on. They can see. 
Do you know what the word apocalypse means? So when you see these movies and they use the word apocalypse, you know what the word apocalypse means? It means the revelation. The apocalypse is the revelation, the revealing, the uncovering, the unveiling, the manifestation of. Of what? The day. Here's one of my big questions for you tonight. Does the thought of the apocalypse bring you fear or a great hallelujah joy? I think every person in the room ought to be truthful to themselves tonight. Would you please? Does the thought of the apocalypse... Ooh, Terry, I like it better when you say Revelation. It's the same word. Does the thought of the apocalypse make you think, hallelujah, Maranatha, Hosanna, hallelujah, amen. What nut would say, come soon, Lord, save us, begin to reign, make it so, if that is bringing the apocalypse? Because you don't believe the apocalypse is your judgment. Jesus already took your judgment. That's already happened. The answer to that question, what? Are you fearful about the apocalypse? It reveals much about what you have done in your life to prepare for that day. Are you looking forward to that day? The Apostle Paul knew at the end of his days on earth that, 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 that the Apostle Paul knew that the end of his days on earth were near. And I want you to listen carefully to what he tells us about the day, because this is really interesting. 2 Timothy, Paul's in a Roman prison and they're going to cut his head off, okay? Verse 5, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work hard, work at telling others about the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now, here it comes. Here's what I want to communicate. A prize awaits me. Before I read it, I want your brain to turn on. When will he get it? How many people in the church will miss the answer to this question? When will he get it? And now, a prize awaits me. What? That would get you through the guillotine. That would get you through the cutting axe. And now a prize awaits me. What's the prize? A crown of righteousness. Who's going to give it to you? Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me. When? 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 On the day of his return. What? What? And the prize is not just for me. Uh-oh, I'm liking this part. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who are eagerly who eagerly look forward to his appearing. If that's you, raise your hand. You got a prize. Jesus is going to give it to you. You know when you get it? Can you read? When Jesus returns. What if, what if I die before, what if they cut my head off before Jesus returns? What do I get then? Stay with me. Where do you think the Apostle Paul is right now today? I suppose that his earthly body is decayed in the ground somewhere around Rome. But I don't think that's where Paul is. Do you? Paul is with Christ in heaven, and Paul is waiting for the day of Jesus' return. Do you, do, do you think, 
I want you to think about that. See, I, Paul's body has turned to dust. His, his flesh turned to dust. But Paul is not his tent. Paul is what was inside that tent. His soul, his soul, when he breathed his last breath, went into the presence of Christ. By the way, I'm going to talk much about that this weekend at Easter. Not the Paul event, but another event. His soul has gone into the presence of God, the presence of Christ. Waiting, why would he wait for the day of judgment? Why would he wait for the day of Jesus' return? Why would that have anything to do with Paul now that he's already gone to be with the Lord? He's got a prize. He's got a crown. And the prize and the crown's going to be given to him. It's guaranteed. It's irrevocable. But when's he get it? Stay with me. Jesus told Paul in advance what was going to happen on a certain day. To the dead in Christ. I wonder if when Jesus told him, did Paul think, that'll be me not too long later. Jesus told Paul in advance what happens to the dead in Christ. Note that this promise is only for the dead in Christ and the alive in Christ, the key words in Christ, and on the day. What day? When he returns. Now, what did he tell Paul? Let me read it, and I'm going to put the pieces together because y'all are giving me that real look tonight. (laughs) And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. Now, one day, Paul's going to be one of those guys who died, right? I want you to know what's going to happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe, uh uh-oh, here it comes, when Jesus returns. Key phrase. What's going to happen? When Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who died before he returned, right? We tell you this directly from the Lord, we who are still living. Now, we've just dealt with the people who have already died when Jesus comes. What about the ones who are still breathing air when Jesus comes? He says, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. That means those in the ground when Jesus comes are going to go first. And we who are breathing air when Jesus comes will go second. Right? Stay with me. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And first, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then, second, Together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Where will believers meet the Lord on that day? In the clouds, in the air. This is not, listen, I know there's a lot of controversy over these verses. I don't find it controversial at all. It is clear. We do not meet the Lord in Jerusalem in this event. His feet do not touch the ground in this event. We meet the Lord, believers who have died and believers who are breathing air still, meet the Lord in the clouds, in the air. 
This is not the second coming. This is not Jesus coming to Jerusalem to make war and kill the Antichrist. No, 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 no. That's coming after this. That's why I believe that the church will not know the Antichrist. Because this will happen before. Where is Paul's body right now? In the earth. Where is Paul's soul right now? In the presence of Christ. Awaiting, listen, awaiting the prize. The crown. When will he get the prize? When will he get the crown? Verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Now, now God's going to bring back with him the believers who have died. So let's just use today as the, as the mark of time. If that happens tonight at 11 o'clock, anybody, Paul is in the, this group of people. Are you with me? We believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. So tonight at 11 o'clock, there's a loud shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet blast, and the dead in Christ are going to rise, and those who are alive are going to rise and meet the Lord in the air, and God's going to bring back with him. We're meeting him in the clouds, right? In the clouds, in the clouds. People going up, going up, in the clouds, in the clouds. And God has brought back with Jesus the believers who have died. So Paul, in this case, is coming back. Why is he coming back? Why is he coming back? He's with Jesus in heaven. Why is he coming back? Where's his body? It's here. That's one of the most curious looks this audience has ever given me. <laughs> Stay with me. Do you believe that? What did I just said? Bring back with him whom? And bring back with him why? Why would Jesus bring back, bring Paul back and other believers back with him when the trumpet sounds? I'm glad you asked that question. Because this is the day that the believers will be clothed in immortal flesh. Is Paul today, using my analogy, is Paul today, his soul is in heaven, is he today clothed in immortal flesh not yet read his writings read his writings not yet why is he coming back why is jesus why is god bringing back with him those who have died why are their bodies why in the world do you need the dead in christ to rise from their grave when their souls are in heaven what are you going to do with that dust pile you're going to put this thing back together how many of y'all want to say hallelujah right now? Hallelujah. The living and the dead. It won't matter whether you've been in, if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, if you're in the ground or if you're standing upright, it won't matter. The living and the dead, if that's even possible, description of a believer. The living and the dead will receive immortal flesh on the day of the trumpet. Now listen, I'm, I'm categorizing the day of the trumpet. Not the day he stands on Mount Moriah or, or Mount of Olives. On the day of the trumpet. So I, I want to read it to you. I want you to know I'm not making this up. Paul himself writes this. 
through the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 15. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies, did Paul take his physical body to heaven with him? No, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. His physical body had to stay here. Why? I'm telling you that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You can't get in with that thing. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. Oh my, we will not all die. That's the ones who are alive when the trumpet goes off. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. What's that telling you? Whether or not you're, you're dead in the ground and you're a pile of dust, or whether or not you're standing upright breathing air, it won't make any difference. We're all going to be transformed. If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, sorry about your luck. In Christ, we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet, this is the day of the trumpet, when the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living, that's the second category, will also be transformed. What's getting transformed? This part. It's getting changed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your sting? In a moment, in the blink of an eye, that day will come and that day will go. Are you ready for that day, church? Because I'm going to tell you, what follows that day is the great tribulation. Seven years. This is the rapture of the church day. We will meet Christ in the air and we will escape the coming horrors of the tribulation that are revealed in the revelation. I have covered them in great detail. Jesus told us to pray that we would escape the tribulation. Why would He tell you to do Luke 21. These are the words of Christ. Here's what he says. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day. What day? What day? Don't let that day catch you unaware. What day? Now, I believe that would be for the church today. That's a reference to the caught up in the air event. The dead in Christ arise, those of us alive arise. Quite frankly, if you're already dead on that day, you've already, there's not much to be watch out for. Because you're in the ground, right? But what about the people who are alive? Watch out. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day will come upon, listen, verse 35, look. That day will come upon every one living on the earth. It's the rapture of the church. So, keep alert at all times. And what? Pray. Pray what? Pray that you would be strong enough to escape these coming horrors. What horrors? The tribulation. Pray that you'd be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. That day. Are you ready for that day, church? 
Will you be with those who escape the coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man? What horrors? The great tribulation revealed in the revelation of John. Will you be one of those that return with Jesus to this present earth at the end of the tribulation? Listen, what just happened? I know right now this is getting heavy. Paul, let's use him as an example. If the rapture happens at 11 o'clock tonight, Paul's coming back and getting his new body. But I just read something to you. I said, will you be one of those that return with Jesus at the, to this present earth at the end of the tribulation? Not at the trumpet blast before the tribulation, but seven years later, will you be one of those that has gotten a new body? You have been clothed in immortal flesh. You have been with the Lord during the tribulation. And now it comes the day, Mount of Olives, Jesus stands here. He's going to kill the Antichrist. Will you come back with him then? Here we go. Are you in this group? Verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there, and its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly, and he wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title is the Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen. Who are they? The armies of heaven dressed in the finest pure white linen. Who are they? Why? Followed him on white horses. He's coming to stand on the Mount of Olives. The armies, clothed in the dressed in the finest pure white linen, they're they're following him. They're coming to the earth, right? From his mouth comes a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He's not meeting people in the cloud and giving them new bodies. Nah, that's not what's happening. He's coming to make war. He, rule, he will rule them on the earth with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flying, flowing from a wine press. And on his robe at his thigh was written, was written this name. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Notice that the word armies is plural. More than one army in this glorious second coming of Christ. This is the day. These armies are the believers from all ages. Listen carefully. They are the army, they are the believers of all ages. The Old Testament saints, the New Testament church age saints, and the tribulation saints. And yes, the angels of heaven, all following Him as He comes to Jerusalem. Have you enlisted? You in this army? Do you see yourself in this army on that day? Can you ride a horse? I've had people read this. I can't even ride a horse. You will be able to in your new body. I don't know. People said, do you think that's literal? There's going to be a bunch of horses? I don't know. I just know I'm in. I'm in. If it's horseback or on the flash of lightning, I don't care. I'm in. Last time I rode a horse, it was ugly, ugly. I fell off. It hurt. It was bad. Never got back on one. The prophet Zechariah describes this day 500 years before the first coming of Christ. Here's how he puts it. Zechariah 14. I want you to notice the day, the day, the day, the day, the day. Watch for the day of the Lord is coming. When your possessions will be plundered right in front of you. I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. 
So, by the way, that means tell me when, when Jesus comes to Jerusalem to kill the Antichrist, he won't have to have him come over. They'll already be there. That day the Lord is coming when your possessions will be plundered in front of you. I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses looted, and the women raped. Half the population will be taken into captivity, and the rest will be left among the ruins of the city. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as He fought in the times of past. And on that day, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move toward the north and half toward the south. And you will flee through this valley, for it will reach across to Azel. Yes, you will flee as you did from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all His holy ones are coming with Him. And on that day, the sources of light will no longer shine. They will be, there will be, yet there will be continuous day. How's that possible? Only the Lord knows how this could happen. There will be no normal day and night, for at evening time it will still be light. On that day, life-giving water will flow out from Jerusalem, half toward the Dead Sea and half toward the Mediterranean, flowing continuously in both summer and winter. And the Lord will be what? Just go and say hallelujah. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord. And His name alone will be worshipped. The Antichrist is dead on that day. 1 Thessalonians 3.11 May God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ bring us to you very soon. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow just as our love for you overflows. And may He, as a result, make your heart strong and blameless and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all His holy people. People. The revelation is the apocalypse, the unveiling, the revealing, the uncovering. Has the uncovering, unveiling of the day made you feel fearful or makes you want to shout hallelujah? Tonight, I tell you, I am fearful for those who do not know Christ. I am fearful for them, so I preach about the day. And I have no intentions of stopping preaching about the day of His coming. The end of the semester is near. And His mercy has given you and I a wait-a-minute moment. I can tell you how chapter 19 ends. How the day will end. Verse 19 through 21. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured and with them the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. And the vultures all gorged themselves on their dead bodies. I suppose this will be the bloodiest battle that has ever occurred on planet earth. I close with this word from the Apostle Paul to the church today, to believers and unbelievers today. Please listen carefully. 2 Thessalonians 1. 
And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with His mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from, the glorious, from His glorious power. When He comes on that day, He will receive glory from His holy people, praise from all who believe. And this includes you. I don't know why that verse meant so much to me. He's writing to the church in the future, and this includes you, for you believed what we told you about Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the Holy Spirit that enables us to even begin to understand this. I thank You, Lord, that You have given us a mind that can understand because You are rich in mercy and grace. You have opened our minds so that the Scriptures make sense, so that we can see what You want us to see, so that we can carry this good news into those who do not see, so that You might open their eyes too. Father, enable, empower Your church to be Your church until that day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.